Hey there, this is David H. Lawrence, the 17th. You know me as Eric Doyle from Heroes. And I just want to be normal. That's why I'm listening to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Live long and prosper. Bad feeling about this. Try to turn you away from the things that I want to believe in. This is going to get pretty interesting. Define interest. God, oh God, we're all going to die. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 54. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. Hello, wherever you are. My name is Miles P. McLaughlin. And we are recording our 54th episode. Welcome, everyone, to the Sci-Fi Diner tonight. Uh, Miles, how has your week been? It's been a very interesting week, Scott. Um, after almost a year of uh, not working, I am finally working again, so I'm I got a job at what I went to school for, um, for a commercial refrigeration company. So very happy about that. And there's cheering all around. If I was, mm-hmm. if I was into all these sound effects, I'd put in cheering right now, but I won't. Uh, so what's been going on in your sci-fi world? What has been going well? Uh, I'm still enjoying Caprica uh, and, uh, and, um, reading some Star Trek novels right now. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, there wasn't a, there was no Smallville on last week, but uh, we watched Smallville when that was on. Very cool. So. Mm-hmm. Very cool. The only thing that uh, that I've been well, I've been watching Caprica with the wife, as everyone knows, and I mentioned before. Uh, the other thing that I've been doing is I have been rewatching The Matrix because I do a lot of running on the treadmill. The Matrix is fairly upbeat, and there's a lot of intense music, a lot of good fight sequences. So I'm working my way through the Matrix trilogy again. I know there's debate on whether the second and third movie should ever be included with The Matrix, but it, it uh, it's, it's, it's an excellent movie to run to, nonetheless. And I've, I'm caught up on Human Target, too. I'm oh, enjoying good. that, so. So that's, uh, I think that's really my sci-fi. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, other than that, not looking forward to a lot. Uh, we have some good news on Iron Man, too. I'm excited about that. We're going to talk about that in a bit. That That's a movie you're excited about, too, right? Yeah, I just saw the trailer just a little while ago, and it's freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Anyways, Mm -hmm. on the menu tonight, we have an awesome interview that we're bringing with you. We chatted with this guy for about 40 minutes, David H. Lawrence the 17th. If you don't know who that is, he plays Eric Doyle, the puppet master from Heroes, an awesome, awesome role. We've been trying to land that interview for over a half a year, and we landed it. And it was awesome, although he did give Miles a little bit of hell. Other than that, yeah. Uh, also on the menu tonight, we announced the Star Wars trivia winner, so stay tuned for that. Our discussion to join, we're going to talk about our joining something called the Lifestyle Pod Network. Um, we have a Farscape review show coming up two weeks from now. Uh, we're going to be talking about the impact of Farscape on sci-fi today. Fringe Season 3 is a go. Felicia Day comes to sci-fi. Miles, I had to throw that in. The Neutron Legacy. 
uh, and Iron Man 2 trailers are out, and they look awesome. Star Trek finally wins an Oscar. We'll talk about that. Alice in Wonderland breaks box office records. New Aliens, the new Aliens franchise, will be in 3D. And Jay from Georgia brings us our, his top five sci-fi classic movies in the Sci-Fi 5 and 5. So it is going to be an awesome show. This is a phenomenal menu. I can't wait to eat. Me too. It's going to be good. Well, let's start off with a little bit of show news before we get into any of that, because we have some exciting news. Um, let me start off by saying that we have decided to join the Lifestyle Pod Network. Now, what does that mean for you guys listening? Probably not a whole heck of a lot. The feeds are going to remain the same at this point, and so you'll get your podcast delivered as it's always been delivered, unless you manually listen to it from the website. It'll be delivered that way, the same way it's always been. But we're joining up with a good friend, uh, James Williams, Dave Gray, the rooster, who we had on this show. They, they're a part of something called the Lifestyle Pod Network, and it's basically just a network of podcasts that join together to kind of help each other out. And they do produce some really awesome contact uh, content, and you will hear their promos later on in this show. So it's it's very it's very cool. Check them out again. That's the Lifestyle Pod Network, and you can just type that into iTunes or type that into Google, and you will definitely find it. Our next piece of news is we are going to be doing in two weeks from now. And uh, Miles, did we talk about this? Yes, we did. Okay. Our, our show. Okay, so um, our we're going to be doing our Farscape retrospective in two weeks with Kevin Batchelder from the Scapecast. He's not just from the Scapecast; he does. A bunch of other podcasts as well, but this is the one that's relevant. And uh, we're going to be talking about Farscape, how it plays into sci-fi, its important role. It ran for four years and had a miniseries and a movie off of it. Uh, so how is this? How is this franchise impacted current sci-fi today, or how do we see it influencing that? We want to talk about that. In fact, we want you to call in with your thoughts on Farscape, what you thought of the show, what it meant to you, and how you think it impacted the sci-fi TV industry. And you can call in and leave your voicemail, and we'll play it on the show by calling 1-888-508-4343. If you are a foreign listener, please send us an MP3 at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, that should do it. for. And again, that's coming up in two weeks. In the next two weeks, if you want to send that to us, Go ahead and do so. In other news, uh, Keith uh, R.A. DeCandido, um, we we interviewed him um, at uh, Farpoint. Uh, We played his interview last show. He gave us a nice shout-out on his blog. Uh, uh, DeCandido obviously is an author for other Star Trek novels. He's also writing comic books for Farscape, and he's done many tie-in novels for uh, movies such as uh, Serenity, World of Warcraft, uh, Starcraft, Resident Evil, um, done lots of stuff. So uh, check out uh, his work. You know his his name's going to be the death of you. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, you know he's a guy that we should also have on that retrospective show. Yeah, because I think he would be a, he'd be good into that. But anyways, uh, we'll have to dialogue about that later. Go ahead, continue on. Uh, also, uh, my friend at, at uh, Subspace Communicate, Chris, uh, his website is uh, celebrating one year of giving. Uh, uh, Star Trek fans, uh, um, Star Trek news. Uh, he's having a, a contest on his site, so be sure to enter for the one-year anniversary reader contest. The uh, prize, well, you can win Captain Kirk and a buttload of tribbles. Um, it's an action figure with Captain Kirk sitting on the chair, classic Kirk with tribbles there. Miles already owns it. 
Um, hey, I entered the contest. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> you might own it soon. Might, might own, own it soon. And uh, listeners, I encourage you to check out the uh, DVD Geeks podcast. Mary's been on our show many times. Um, uh, I was mentioned on her show because uh, she had solicited some opinions about uh, Flash Forward. ABC released the, the DVDs for their midseason. So they gave us a nice little shout-out on DVD Geeks uh, last episode. By the way, our friend Chris uh, from Subspace Communique also posted our show with another one, um, and he checked out before I said anything. This guy is on the ball. So, if, folks, if you're into Star Trek, uh, go to his site. He, he's, he's got a great site for uh, Star Trek news. Wow, that's a lot of show news for us. But that's great. We had, there's been a lot happening in our world, and we are so thankful for everyone that has continued to send in uh, not only their feedback, but their thoughts, and and also the trivia. We had an astounding outpouring of trivia, and I wish we had enough prizes to give to each one of you, uh, but we don't. Miles, let's head into the trivia, and let's, uh, let's uh, kill the pain and allow people to hear who won this awesome prize. Let's go ahead and recap by talking about what the prize was and what the question was. Okay, the prize we were offering... Uh, is a signed print of Sam Witwer as Starkiller from The Force Unleashed. And uh, the question we had posed was, who was in charge of bringing down the deflector shield of the second Death Star? And the answer was, Miles? Han Solo. Han Solo. Yeah, yes. Han Solo. And our winner? Uh, Miss Susan Varney. Congratulations, Miss Varney. Clap, 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 clap. Drum roll, whatever. Anyways, yes. thank you for... Everyone that contributed, Susan, we'll be getting that to you as soon as possible. Um, also want to give a shout out to our good friend from the UK, Duncan Duncan uh, Muset, for an honorable mention, and uh, who uh, just wrote in and uh, also contributed to the contest. And everyone else that I didn't mention here, you guys rock. There were a lot of people that did that. Anyways, we got to keep this show moving. We're going to head into news that we have, and we have a lot of good news to bring you. But before we do that, we want to hear from our good friends, as we mentioned, at DVD Geeks. So here's a promo. It's the DVD Geeks. Real fans with real opinions. Every Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. Central on FearlessRadio.com. FearlessRadio.com. Remember, scene selection is not a special feature. The DVD Geeks on FearlessRadio.com. For more information, point your web browser to dvdgeeks.tv. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. We are going to head into our 10, 10, and 10, although we really only have TV news and movie news tonight. Miles, let's head into some TV news here, because we have some exciting TV news, and boy, I'm, I'm so psyched about this. Go ahead. Uh, you and me both, pal. Um, you, the exploding heads, Fringe has been renewed for season three. And the best news of the day, Entertainment Weekly reports that Fox has decided to renew Fringe for a third season. Here is what they said. Though the show isn't exactly blowing the roof off the Nielsen, it's been averaging just 7.6 million viewers and is ranked number 50 in the all-important adults 18 to 49 demographic this season. It, it managed to survive a tough new time period on Thursdays. The show returns with new episodes and the promise of more visits from Leonard Nimoy and to the parallel universe on April 1st. This means we'll get more of the delicious weirdness, more loony awesome John Noble as Walter Bishop. For ladies, more Joshua Jackson. 
and Toro faction. More Mercury-blooded alternate, alternate dimension assassins, more Nimoy, more uh, Blair Brown, Lance Reddick action, hopefully more Kirk, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, uh, Asivado, and lots more uh, explodey heads. And, and yes, we could not forget, more of that uh, Hugh is a button spunky, uh, Jessica Nicole as Astrid. Can't wait till April 1st. Awesome, awesome. And there was one name in there that I knew that got you psyched, Miles. Mm-hmm. What name was that? More Walter. No, oh, I was going to say more Nimoy. But, uh, well, that too. That too. That's hey. going to be psyched. I thought I thought his relationship for Fringe was cut. I thought he did this three, and then I heard rumors that he's not going to be on any more episodes. But that obviously is not true, at least according to this article, the Sci-Fi Wire. It's probably taken off. So I mean, his character's taken off on the show. So oh, good, good. Well, I am excited about that. That is awesome news. That is probably the best. It's one of the piece, best pieces of news we have here. It's great. I love Fringe. I cannot wait till it returns. Unfortunately, that episode, if I'm going to watch it, I'm going to have to download it from iTunes because, or Hulu, watch it at Hulu. I will be traveling. We'll be in uh, Key West over the time that airs. So. Okay. But anyways, I hope that's not an April Fool's joke. April 1st. But anyways, let's Fair move enough. into, we got some, we got a preview of up and coming shows for the fall. And yes, it is not too early to be thinking about what's coming up this fall as we're dealing with shows that are kind of in flux. We have Fringe renewed. We're excited about that. Heroes is on the fence, at least as of yet. Uh, we don't know about Human Target and uh, Flash Forward and V. Nothing's been solidified there. Stargate Universe. Uh, has that been renewed? I think that's been renewed. Is that right? I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, we, is, we, 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 we announced it last week. Yeah, and renewed. then uh, Sanctuary has been renewed. But there are some new sci-fi shows that we may want to check out because, after all, one can never have enough sci-fi TV shows. Um, the first one, uh, let me talk about and you get the second one then. We'll just kind of alternate here, Miles. Um, okay. The first one is on ABC. It's called The Gates. And basically, this is a supernatural crime drama, which sort of sounds like an anti-Eureka. If you're familiar with Eureka, of course, the comedy on sci-fi. It's about a big city cop who becomes chief of police in a seemingly sleepy, planned community, only to discover there's much more to the residents than meets the eye. What could that be, you ask? How about a cardiologist who's actually a vampire-like creature? In the form of an actor, Luke Mobley. Prison Break's Frank Grillo plays new police chief Nick Monahan, and Jania Gavinkar plays Leah Turner, a sexy cop with a secret. Chance to pick up? About 100%. So that's a definite. Gates has a blind 13-episode commitment will likely find a home during the summer. They're expecting this to hit during the summer, I guess. So that's kind of so, cool. And I, I yeah, guess, so. I guess, I guess, let me say this. It doesn't say that they're coming out in the fall. These could be coming out summer, fall, maybe even next year. These are ones that are on the horizon. Go ahead, Miles. No, it's, it, I just think it sounds interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I'll watch it, but it sounds good. And uh, if you like Eureka, it may be worth checking out. Take the next one. Well, next one's called No Ordinary Family. Could this potential series be the new heroes? The Shields, uh, Michael, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, Chickless. Uh, he's the guy from, uh, played Ben Grimm in uh, Fantastic Four. Uh, and, and Angel slash Dexter's uh, Julie Ben star in this drama, which re- revolves around a typical American family that experiences strange things when they suddenly find themselves with new abilities. Uh, Chickless plays the dad and Ben's plays mom, Stephanie, a gifted scientist who develops a power for super speed. No ordinary family comes from John Harriman Feldman, who did true calling 
at Greg uh, Berlanti, Eli Stone. The series also stars Autumn Reeser, Romani Malco, uh, Jimmy Bennett, uh, Kay Panabaker, and Christina Chang. Chance to pick up 75%. Chickless is the star, and with Heroes certainly at the end of its run uh, this season or next, we're likely no no ordinary family's uh, chances. So good chance there, and it sounds kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know. This is kind of, it does seem to be kind of a Heroes, hopefully not as many Heroes in it. Well, it sounds like it's just centered around this family, so... Um, so that should narrow it down a little bit. Right. What, what a terrible name for an actor. Michael Chiklis. Yeah, but uh, he's a cool guy. <laughs> oh, he is. I know. I like him as an actor, but just a terrible last name. But whatever. Um, on Fox, we have a show coming on called Terra Nova. Steven Spielberg must be getting bored with movies, or maybe he's just missing dinosaurs. He and Peter... Chernin are trying to put together a deal for this time travel drama about a family from 100 years in the future who travel back in time 150 million years to a strange and inhospitable environment of prehistoric Earth. According to Variety, the project would involve sets and special effects that are so elaborate it would only be cost effective in order to direct in order to to order it directly to series. That means it's either all or nothing on this one. There's no actual order for a pilot yet. Craig Silverstein and British writer Kelly uh, Marcel wrote the script based on Marcel's idea. They're saying the t chance of pickups about 20%. It's Spielberg, baby, and that means it's really, really expensive. Uh, my guess, we probably will not see this one because cost is everything these days. Right. It sounds a little like Land of the Lost, too. It does. I I'm not, I'm not, not looking. I'm not looking at this one. It that doesn't sound that exciting to me. Maybe if, if listeners, if you like it, sounds great. You're into dinosaurs, and you say this sounds awesome. Please let us know, but eh, not not doing nothing for me. Mm -hmm. Well, next we have a uh, uh, Torchwood, uh, Doctor Who Torchwood's Russell T Davies. No sooner came to the U.S. than he promptly pitched Foxy U.S. version of Torchwood. There's also talk that the original star John Barrowman might reprise his role as Captain Jack at the series about a covert group of alien hunters would focus on more internationally based stories. It's a long shot that this will go through go through. BBC America still holds the broadcast rights, and as far as we know, it hasn't been cancelled across the pond. That doesn't mean that there couldn't also be an American version, but there are also some work to do to make a deal come together. It all sounds too good to be true. Chance to pick up twenty percent. We'll believe it when we see it. And we really like to see it. Uh, you know what? I like to see it, but here's my problem. There are a lot of Torchwood fans in the U.S. Right. So are you going to try to resell the show to them with John Barrowman, but no, none of the rest of the cast? Uh, that seems just a bit far-fetched for me. I mean, I'm used I, to I, – I, I, go ahead. I, I just going to say I, I, I agree. It already has a strong following in this country. Yeah, it just doesn't – I just don't. I just don't get it. Um, I understand what they do. There's been a lot of this whole UK American thing where they do it in the UK. What was it? Life on Mars? They did that way. Um, right. well, Doctor Who, they haven't and they won't do Doctor Who. Uh, right. But I don't know. Torchwood, maybe. But I, uh, you know, again, I agree. I believe we'll see it. The Cape, this is on NBC, another superhero offering. The Cape is about a former cop framed for a crime he didn't commit who become, who becomes he becomes a cape, a masked hero to clear his name and reunite with his son, Lamar Cranston. ER's Australian actor David Lyons plays an ex-cop, Vince Faraday. The series is created by Tom Wheeler. The pilot is being directed by Simon West from Human Target. Oh, so there's a Human Target reference. 65%. Um, 
pickup and Lions is a star waiting to happen. NBC isn't afraid of superheroes, obviously, not with the other show. Uh, it sounds like Lamar Cranston, the shadow, doesn't it? Very much. Sounds interesting. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's skip day one because we've talked about day one. To, we talked about day one to death, and there's nothing new and there's nothing good. NBC has kind of turned their back on it. Let's move on to the event. Okay. Well, the event. Who knows if there's actually any real sci-fi or fantasy at the core of the event, but we're liking the chances. From the 4400's uh, Nick uh, Waters, the pilot is a thriller with a unique storytelling device that features multiple points of view concerning a decent, regular fellow who battles against mysterious circumstances that envelope a larger conspiracy. The decent, regular fellow is played by Jason Ritter, who stars along with Blair Underwood, Sarah Romer, Scott Peterson, uh, Zelko Ivanek, Ian Anthony Dale, Taylor Cole, and Wes Ramsey. Chance to pick up 25%. Well, the summary couldn't be any more vague. It reminds us of day one's global event. We're thinking this one's a bit of a long shot. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Sounds interesting, though. 4,400 attached to it. That kind of has me interested. Yeah. Uh, Nine Lives, called the Spielberg 2.0, originally developed for sci-fi. It's been reported that Spielberg is interested in reviving this near-death drama. Nine Lives unfolds as an epic story of love, exploring the greatest mystery of all, what happens after you die. The drama focuses on several characters, each grieving over the loss of a loved one. Um, that, let's move on. I hate that one. Okay. Go ahead. This sounds interesting. Um, you want me to do it? Yep, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Next one we have is Undercovers. J.J. Uh, Abrams' latest take... I'm interested already. Go ahead. Me too. Latest takes takes him back to spy games as a domesticated husband and wife return from years of retirement are reactivated as CIA agents. As they work together for the first time on new cases, they discover new aspects from their past, even as they reignite their passion for each other. While this certainly could be a sci-fi free series, we also know that Abrams loves sci-fi and loves to sell a sci-fi story as a spy story, at least based on his work on Alias. A pilot is written by Abrams and Dirty Sexy Money's Josh Reams and features a Borish uh, Kojo from Sarius as, as Stephen Bloom and British actress um, uh, Guju Mabatha Raw. You give me all the hard names. <laughs> no, I know. From Doctor Who. <laughs> from Doctor Who, uh, uh, his wife, Samantha. The pilot also stars uh, Carter McIntyre, Gerald McRaney, Jessica Parker, uh, Kennedy, and Ben Schwartz. Chance to pick up 80% undercover seems to have a good chance considering Abrams knows how to do spy stuff. If he can ran the alias-esque bizarre sci-fi plots just a bit, it has great potential. Ooh, this is exciting. I'm actually interested in this. This sounds good. But we'll see. Again, we'll, we'll see. see. Yeah, we'll see. And we have a bunch of cable stuff that's coming up. Uh, just briefly, The Walking Dead is a show that they're working. It's a zombie one. If you're into zombies, you want to check out that. They're saying there's a 75% chance they're picking that up on AMC. TNT has Spielberg's Untitled Alien Invasion series. Um, there's a lot Spielberg's doing with TV, it seems like. And I'll talk about the last one real briefly. We mentioned this before. The network is unknown. We don't know who's picked this up yet. but Well, the Untitled Star Wars live-action TV series. Yeah. This, this project's been in the works for years and still doesn't have a title. According to rumors, George Lucas is, according, Britain's top writers for pitches. Or scripts have been written or casting has started, or none of the above. The idea is that the series would be set between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope and would focus on minor characters such as the smugglers and the bounty hunters. Lucas would definitely like to do this, and he said he would write and produce the first season. And then 
handed it off from there and oversee the series as executive producer. Chance of pickup, who knows? No network is attached, and even though Lucas says he, he, he can produce the episodes for $1 million, it's going to take a lot of special effects to pull this one off. Still, he's faced greater odds, like getting Star Wars made in the first place. Very true. I'm excited about this. This has been in the works for a long time. We chatted with Sam Witwer about it the other week, and I don't know. I'm excited about the live-action TV series. I would love to see a live-action Star Wars TV yeah. show. Well, rumors had we, – we had talked about rumors of them casting this a long time ago. I thought they were already shooting, but maybe they haven't. This this article makes it sound like it hasn't even started yet. So I don't know. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, on exciting TV news, we have Felicia Day coming to sci-fi. She, of course, is from the Guild, Dr. Harble sing-along blog in Dollhouse, and she'll portray a werewolf-hunting descendant of Little Red Riding Hood in the new sci-fi Saturday original movie, Red, which is slated to premiere in 2011. Now, while I'm excited about Felicia Day, I'm going to be very honest. The fact that they said sci-fi or sci-fi Saturday original movie, Red, kind of has me eh about it. It has me a little worried. I mean, I'd like to see her, you know, get her due. Um, I don't – sci-fi's – Original movies, you know, don't. Well, we know about sci-fi original movies. I Every mean, once in a while, they have a good one. Every right. once in a while, but the fact that there's this the werewolf hunting descendant of Little Red Riding Hood, yeah, I don't know. The premise sounds weak. I need to know more. That's just it. I need to know more. I'm excited that Felicia Day is in it, but if I watch it, it might be the only reason. Mm-hmm. But, and I would hope it not. It wouldn't be. Let's move on into movie news. We have a couple pieces of movie news, and we're going to try and skedaddle, skedaddle through these. Well, Sexy Tron Legacy teaser trailer, Babes and Light Cycles. Woohoo! Woohoo! Remember that teaser trailer for, for Tron, Tron Legacy we told you about? It's now live, and you can watch it and view it below. Watch the trailer here if you want to see a higher-res uh, version. We also post a breakdown of images from the trailer in the gallery. Uh, click for larger versions. Yeah. What did we tell you? Pretty awesome, right? Tron Legacy opens on December 17th, way too long from now. So, Miles, you watched this. You watched You watched this trailer. What did you think? Uh, very impressive. Yeah, a lot of throwbacks. A lot of throwbacks to the original Tron here. Right. Um, I assume it's a sequel to the, um, you know, the, the one they made back in the 80s. That's the one that they're, that's the way they're billing it. Because, um, um, I mean, Jeff Bridges is in it, so I, you know. I just, I just love the fact that he's in it, period. But, all right. Well, in it, we had another trailer released, and we're going to be embedding both of these trailers into our show notes. If you want to check them out there at the SciFiDinerPodcast.com. We have a new Iron Man 2 trailer if you missed it during the Oscars. Black Widow, Whiplash, War Machine. They are all, all in this trailer, and it looks phenomenal. Um, this, of course, premiered during the Jimmy Kimmel show following the Oscars. Excuse me. It wasn't during the Oscars, but afterwards on Sunday night. It's now online, and you can view it, obviously, in our show notes. It's, it's a show, it shows us the first real good look at Scarlett Johansson's Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, and more Mickey Rourke's Whiplash in the action against Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark Iron Man. We also get a better look at Sam Rockwell's rival, Justin Hammer, and Don Cheadle as War Machine. And it looked pretty good. I liked it. I liked it. Um, there were some parts that I'm a bit concerned about, like all the dancers. It looks almost like a uh, uh, WWE wrestling tournament in some parts. So, Miles, I don't know. That was the way I interpreted it. What did you think? 
it definitely looks like it has the pageantry, but um, I'm going to try to see this in the theaters. Oh, I, me too. Yeah. Me too. I, I'm excited about this, and I'm it's 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 Iron Man two. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward. This is definitely worth seeing. If you haven't checked out the trailer, please visit our website, sci-fi diner podcast dot com. Go ahead, Miles. Take us away with the next story. Well, this makes me happy. Um, with the makeup award, Star Trek finally brings home an Oscar. It wasn't a great night for a ten foot uh, tall blue aliens, but it was a historic night for Star Trek. J.J. Abrams movie won an award for best achievement in makeup, marking the first time a Star Trek movie has ever won one of the coveted gold statues. Backstage at the Kodak Theater in Hollywood on Sunday night, Trek makeup winners Barney Burnham, Mindy Hall, Joel Harlow, they, they talked about the, the history being made. I think we have a whole new generation of fans, Hall said, and that was our, one of our goals. We want our Star Trek to appeal to the current fan as well as the, a new generation, a younger generation, and a kind of a younger, hipper Star Trek, if you will. It's fantastic, fantastic for the whole franchise. Over the years, four Star Trek films have received various nominations, uh, none for director and acting or best picture, but uh, Star Trek The Voyage Home earned four nominations in 86, but none has ever won. Until now. This is awesome. And this is really awesome, Miles, that they, that they actually did win. So, yeah. we are, we'll put, so we'll put the rest of the story because of the time in the show notes here. Uh, okay. But, Miles, your reaction to this? I'm happy about this. Uh, Star Trek is finally getting its due, um, you know, with, with, with the Oscars. Um, it probably, so uh, I'm, I'm very pleased about this. Yeah, and this is a lot of the makeup with the Romulans, is, as they, they kind of make mention of, and the Vulcans, and uh, and it's kind of cool. Like these are the people that I think that's one of the things that they mentioned that they won for. Mm-hmm. This was up against the Avatar, so that's uh, you know talk about makeup. There's been a lot. There's a lot of makeup in that too. Right. I guess a lot of CGI too. Maybe that's part of it. Uh, just two other pieces of movie news, and then we got to get into our interview. Alice is a wonder breaking box office records. Oh, frabs just day. Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland killed the competition at the March 5th weekend box office, taking an estimated, uh, 116 million domestically to set a new record. Worldwide, the 3D fantasy mo- uh, movie took in 210 million, said the LA Times. Uh, according to the ticket price inflation, that's the biggest ever domestic opening in the first quarter of the year, easily beating the record 83 million set by the Passion of Christ in 2004. In the 40 foreign territories where it opened simultaneously, Alice in Wonderland collected an additional 94 million. That's also a record for the best, biggest foreign opening in the winter or spring, Disney said. So, kind of cool. Not a movie I'm going to go see, probably. Maybe I'll rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I'll probably, I may rent it. We'll see. You might. It depends. Depends how much uh, uh, good old Johnny Depp draws you in, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's just uh, let's highlight just the first couple uh, pieces of this story. Ridley Scott's Alien. Yes, uh, Ridley Scott's Alien will be three uh, D, a trilogy too. Um, so we're going to get uh, the Alien reboot news that's slowly been coming out for the past year has been exciting, but now we're really starting to salivate. First, we learn that there's going to be a prequel and that Tony and Ridley Scott would be involved, though neither would direct. Then we found out that Ridley Scott was stepping in to direct after all. A few months ago, he, he let slip a few details about the plot. That the film wouldn't deal with the backstory to the giant alien ship, the crew of the Nostradom- Nostromo discovered in his 1979 original movie. But now it gets even more interesting because uh, Roger Christian, art director for the original Aliens, spilled big news over the Shadow 
locked. Ridley Ridley's doing the next Alien in 3D. And it's even bigger news than that. The film may turn out to be the first of a trilogy. And that's that's I think that's awesome news. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to be honest. I saw the first Alien, and uh, the Aliens creep me out so much I haven't watched any of the others. And I may get hate mail from it, but I just uh, get the willies when I see those Aliens. Well, you might be able to see them now, but I thought the second one was phenomenal. Oh, yeah. second one was – so I should see the second one. Right? Definitely. Right. We know what's great is – you know, who wouldn't want to see an alien popping out of the chest in 3G, in 3D? I'm sure that that'll, that'll scare a lot of people. Yes, and uh, isn't that the point? That is de- definitely the point. Well, anyways, that is our sci-fi news tonight. We are going to head into our interview, but before we do, we want to hear from our friends at the AGP podcast, the Aussie Geek podcast, who is a part, they are a part of the Lifestyle Pod Network. So here's a promo. Check out this podcast if you get a chance, especially if you like anything geek and technology related. The Aussie Geek Podcast brings you the best from the world of technology. Each week, Dave, Kate, and Keith, the token Canadian, bring you the highlights from the week's technology news, along with great software finds and the best of the web. The geeks are joined by friends of the show who bring their own unique and global perspectives on the world of technology and the way we live in it. Join us each week for the Aussie Geek Podcast. Subscribe today in iTunes or visit us at AussieGeekPodcast.com. The Aussie Geek Podcast. Bloody awesome tech. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. We have a great interview, like we mentioned before. Miles, who's on the docket tonight? We have David Lawrence from uh, Heroes on. And that is going to be awesome. He, of course, played the puppet master, Eric Doyle, who is instrumental in the final episodes of this season. We'll see if we get any more of him coming up. But we just had a really great interview talking to him about podcasting, about acting, how he got into Heroes, the history of Heroes. It was a really good time. Right. He, yeah, he's a very entertaining guy to listen to. He was. And by, and by the way, one of the great things about this interview is you know, we asked a few questions and he just talked. Yeah, and he was like the Richard Hatch interview. In a lot of right. You didn't have to, you know, you know, feed him questions. It was just you know, a, a starting block for a conversation. Whatever you do, don't call him Dave. No, he he doesn't like that. I found that <laughs> no. out. Although, although I think he was joking, Miles. I think he was yanking my chain, but he had fun doing it, though. Yeah, he did. And Miles, I had Miles sweating, sweating a little bit. But right. Without any further ado, here is our interview with David H. Lars. Meredith Gordon. As God is my witness. I'm going to make you love me again. Leave them alone, I... Okay, Mom. Do it. I won't. Yes, you will. Well, thank you for coming on uh, the podcast with us. We're a podcast that just talks about everything sci-fi, and and, uh, I'm glad you finally got my email. Uh, yeah, really. How about Gmail, huh? Yeah, I know. Come on. You got when it. did you when did you send that email to me? I, I bet I sent it in uh, August, September. Really? Yeah, it's kind of like the Pony awesome. Express. But. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it was. I think what happened was uh, Sergey jumped on his uh, Palomino and 
rode across country and back a few times, you know, and then finally dropped it off at my place here in Los Angeles. Hey, as long as it got there, right? Yeah. No, no, no. Well, well, we're just gonna, uh, you know, it's gonna be kind of informal. We, we do want to talk about obviously heroes, but, uh, and probably a little bit about lost because you just were in the uh, recent lost episode. Mm-hmm. And, um, and maybe the Cavanaughts, you know, that good gay space pirate you played? Uh, I haven't played a space pirate oh, yet. Oh, you haven't? Are you supposed to? Uh, supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> see, we're still waiting for the Cavanaughts to air, so. Yeah, so we'll see. I think he's, I think what he's doing is he's laying all of them in, and my, my episodes haven't been shot yet, so there's really nothing I can, nothing I can give you there. Okay, <laughs> okay. Well, then we won't quiz you on that, but, uh. And then, you know, and then we can take it anyway. I want to talk a little bit about podcasting because uh, rumor has it you're like the grandfather of podcasting. You know, I think Adam Curry uh, is a little bit um, dismissive of that. I think he would like that. Uh, you know, he would like that title. Um, <laughs> but obviously people, not just me, Brian Cooley at CNET and uh, others, uh, we're sending out regular audio uh, newscasts, basically, in the in the mid '90s, <clears throat> I was doing a radio show on a syndicated network across the country called Online Today, and it was only on on Sundays. It was one of the very first technology uh, radio shows. Leo Laporte had on computers with Gina Smith, and Kim Commando was out, and there were a couple people doing some stuff locally. But I was in there at the very beginning, and one of the things that struck me was that during the week. I wanted to stay in touch with my audience because during the week was when everything was actually happening in technology. That's when Excited Home decided to become available and America Online went Windows and Mac, you know. Uh, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to stay in touch with them with the latest headline news. And so I created essentially a 10-minute and 47-second, and there's a reason for that, 10-minute and 47-second real audio file that I would email them every morning. And at one point, I was sending out 40,000 emails wow. every day, which, you know, you just, uh, you know, you're, you're, sending, you're sending it once to your server, and then the server is sending out the, the actual data. And my, my, my hosting service at the time uh, was kind of, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, and that was Rackspace, so they were cool about it. But um, so I think it was Rackspace. Maybe it was somebody else at the time. But uh, Geico... Uh, is based in Washington, D.C. I'm based in Washington, D.C., and I was on the air doing mornings in Washington, D.C., and I talked about it, and one of the marketing people from Geico heard about it. They jumped on my list. They heard what I was doing, and they said, hey, can we sponsor you? And I'm like, yeah, I'll take $300 a day. I was just shooting for the moon. I was, I was yeah. going to come back and go, uh, we can do $10 a day, and you'll right. like it. <laughs> But they said yes. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got a little business here. Uh, so the reason it was 10 minutes and 47 seconds was the only, the only, I guess, not standard, but the only common uh, uh, compressed audio format. MP3 had not achieved the, the kind of ubiquity that it has today. But the, um, the only real accepted, publicized, talked about, Technology was real audio, and this was in the days when they were called progressive networks. I don't you remember. I don't know if you remember that was the case. They used to have progressive networks, and in fact, the um, uh, the file extension was .pn for some of their uh, .pna, .pnv, etc. Okay, for some yeah, of their files. Yeah. If I remember correctly, I'm sure somebody will look it up and go, "You're crazy." <laughs> uh, but but that was the case, and the reason that it was 10 minutes and 47 seconds is that the real audio 
the .ra file, which is what ended up, uh, you know, I would send out, which you could play on your hard drive. You could download it and then just double-click it, and the real audio player would come up and play it, which was really the best experience because streaming was just horrifying. Streaming, I mean, they were oh, still yeah. getting out of the days of, of you know, uh, 56K baud modems. So streaming was just horrific. So I wanted to get the, the file onto the person's hard drive. And the reason it was 10 minutes and 47 seconds long was if it went beyond 10 minutes and 47 seconds long, it would be 774K instead of 773K. 773K uh, encoded for the Internet in 8.7 made it 999K, which was 1K less than the 1 megabyte limit for attachments on email that AOL had, that Excited Home had, that uh, Prodigy, I think, had, CompuServe had. All the, I checked all of them, and they all were at least under a megabyte. So I had to make it that long. And it sounded, you know, okay. It was actually better than AM radio, but it was sent via email, not RSS. So right. I, the distinction would be that Adam Curry certainly spent an awful lot of time and effort uh, publicizing podcasting, you know, to the point where he was ready to declare radio dead, which I guess hasn't happened yet. And <laughs> no. also, he's not doing his podcast anymore, as far as I know, uh, at least not doing daily source code. So, um, so yeah, and I did that for like five years. And then email became almost undeliverable with the advent of spam in the late 1990s. And so I stopped for a while. And then when RSS came out, when RSS with enclosures came out, I kicked right back up and doing it. And back then, I called it the personal netcast. And I had jingles, and I had themes, and I had... It was awesome. It was great. It was like a little mini radio show every morning, and it helped. And every time I would go send a new one, it would be... And by the way, don't forget to tune in this Sunday. It was always meant to drive listeners to my Sunday afternoon show. My, my show was on Sunday from 1 to 4 on the East Coast, 10 to 1 on the, on the West Coast. And then it went to online tonight, then the David Lawrence show, and by that time... Uh, I was on nightly on CNET radio, on XM, on Sirius, on 150 stations across the country. Personal netcast I would do after every show. I would usually have the third hour guest on. And it always remained 10 hours and 47, or uh, 10 minutes and 47 seconds, just out of pure tradition. So there's the story of the history of, of podcasting. As far as I know, Brian Cooley and I have determined that we were kind of doing this contemporaneously. You know, he may have been before me, I may have been before him. We don't know. We don't care. We're, we're best buds. <laughs> we will we will say without fear of retribution that we were doing this long before anybody else was doing this and calling it podcasting. And I was really happy when Leo Laporte said, I don't want to call it a podcast anymore. I don't want to give Apple the, the nod with pod. Let's call it a netcast. And I'm like, yes, because I own the trademark to netcast. Go ahead, Leo. Go for it. I'd love to license it to you with all that money you're making on Twit. Oh, my so, God. Is he ever making money, too? Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> wow. Well, that is awesome. I was wondering, I was a little bit curious about the story when I uh, looked up in your uh, – on your david.com site and that had come up um, as one of the dots that was an extension of it. Well, but but are you doing radio are you, are you doing radio at all anymore? No. The only time I do radio is when somebody asks me to be on their show and like this. And it's really interesting because in the last 3 or 4 years the distinction between broadcast traditional lots of listeners radio has been blurred. The distinction between that and podcasting has been blurred especially with shows like Leo's show, that have hundreds of thousands of listeners, enough to compete in a major market as a as a as a show. You know, you could go to Z100 in New York and go up against them. They have like 123,000 every quarter hour, which is a lot. 
Um, and so if you take a look at some of Leo's shows like Twit and Twim and all that, you know, you've got, uh, you've got a show that can compete with that. So the, the line has been blurred. But for me, I found that towards the end of 2007, I moved out here to Los Angeles to become an actor. And to do that, I trained and I went to sessions and seminars and learned my craft and learned my marketing and learned the lay of the, the land and who my customers were. I mean, I really, I treat this like almost every successful actor does as a business. Mm. And so, you know, I had some prep work to do to learn my, to learn my marketplace and so on. So I was here for a couple of years and I started to go out on auditions and I started to do well. And always in the back of my head was, you know, if I get this, if I get this, you know, guest star on ER, I have no, I have no guarantee that they'll fill me out by six or six thirty, so I can get back to my studio and do my show for XM and Sirius because they hated when I would do best ofs. They absolutely hated it when I would do like a previous, previously on the uh, the David Lawrence show. They hated that. Right. Right. So around, uh, I would say, late two thousand seven, probably September or so. I had I had succumbed to the pressure of other actors asking me to help them with their voice demos. Uh, voiceover demos here can command anywhere between fifteen hundred and eight thousand dollars. Wow! And I just didn't want to be a part of that whole mess of you know actors who are hard pressed for money, um, you know, uh, separating that many dollars from them. So and and I so I just said no, I can't do it until I figured out how to do it quickly and expertly and for far less money. I charge 500 bucks for my demos and you're done in an hour and a half or two hours. And so that $500 becomes a reasonable amount of money for me to make for that two hours of time because that's about what I make as an actor. If you ask an actor what they make, they'll tell you, oh, SAG scale, blah, blah, blah. If you break it out, you make about $250 an hour as a working actor, which mm-hmm. is pretty good, but the work is few and far between, so it's right. not as glamorous as it sounds. All right, so I do this, and I'm, I'm starting to build that business, and I think to myself, you know what? Radio, broadcast radio, is in a death race with newspapers to see who's going to kill themselves first. (laughs) I mean, you see the Wall Street Journal narrowing their pages, the New York Times narrowing their pages. The the old Sunday newspapers used to be an inch or two thick. I know because I was a Cleveland Press uh, uh, you know, paper boy, and then I was a plain dealer paper boy, and I used to loathe Sunday mornings because what would normally be a couple of stacks of newspapers for my route became like a newsstand tall, you know, set of 90 stacks that I had to like lug around Cleveland, Ohio, delivering to my route. I used to hate it. Now, now Sunday papers are narrower, they're thinner. You don't even get through your bagel and coffee if you spread it out in bed. You're done very quickly with newspapers because newspapers just aren't relevant anymore. They've been eaten alive by online news sources, Google, you know, Yahoo, the way people get their information these days. Radio suffered the very same sort of cannibalism at the hands of iTunes and online radio shows and so on. And not to the point where the money moved over because the money didn't move over. You guys aren't making money with your podcast, I guarantee you. I can guarantee you that too. I know I know of maybe five podcasts that I can count on one hand, and the, and the term podcast is used loosely only because they're actually on the net only, but they're not actually doing what would be considered a traditional show, right? People that are YouTube stars or are, are Facebook stars or 
um, Twitter stars, you know, they're making money because of notoriety, not because of the method of delivery or the, the format of their, of, their, of their production. So radio was just imploding. I mean, it was just imploding. I knew that when I went to a program director in Boise, Idaho, here's what my argument would boil down to when I would ask him to take my nationally syndicated show. Look, Joe Programmer, you're too stupid to come up with something local that would be better than what I could give you from my seat here in Los Angeles or then in Washington, D.C. So take my show instead. And that always leaves a bad taste in the program director's mouth. I'm not actually saying those words, but that's what it comes up with. That's what you come up with. Uh, you know, there are some exceptions. The big national, like Rush Limbaugh and uh, Howard Stern and, and you know, uh, the sports, uh, sports guys, Jim Rome and so on. You know, they have... They have a celebrity attached to them. I didn't have a celebrity attached to me. I was just saying, hey, instead of running the news on Saturday night, run my show. It's about technology and pop culture, right? Right. So with that proposition, program directors were left going, mm, fine, right? In general, radio is dying. It's decaying. It's not relevant to our children. It's not relevant to us. I listen to the news channel when I'm not on the phone in the car. So my listening, and I grew up loving radio, living radio as my life for 35 years. It's not relevant to me anymore. So in that, in that thinking about that and building the demo thing uh, up and just doing my voice work and doing that sort of thing, I made the decision to retire from radio, to sell my shows because I owned my shows, to retire from radio and then pursue on-camera acting and voice work full-time. And it wasn't six months later that I got the booking on Heroes, and the rest is history. The rest is history. Wow. wow. So, so what, am I talking too much? No, absolutely. I love hearing it. You you talk as much <laughs> as you want. So, how long are we going to be here? Are we going to be here for another five minutes or so? Right, what right, are we doing? <laughs> Let's talk about Heroes because you just mentioned okay. it, and let, so Heroes really was the first breakout role for you. If you want to, if you want to say that, right? It was. My, it wasn't just a breakout role. It was my very first booking. Wow. It was my very first on-camera, network television, or studio film, because those are really the only ones that count. You know, uh, you can do all the indie films and student films you want, never get paid for them on the odd occasion that you do. It's something like Napoleon Dynamite, which happens once every 10 years. Right. Um, it's not a webisode series, although I've done webisode series for NBC where I got paid very, very well. Um, it is, it is, oh, it's all that counts is, um sorry, um, it's all that counts is network television. Hmm. And it was my very first booking. Right. Uh, if I had not had training for the year prior with Patrick Tucker, who wrote the book Secrets of Screen Acting, I doubt I would have, A, gotten that role, and B, done so well with the first day of a three-day shoot that they ended up rewriting my ending so that instead of killing me with the gun on the table, as Claire was supposed to do, she just hit me over the head with a chair leg and back into prison I go and they use me for another day. Yeah. Wow. But the real story, there's a real story behind that. Would you like to hear it? Absolutely. Sure. All right. So the real story behind that is two years earlier, two years earlier. Yeah. Two years earlier, I was booked for my very first booking. This is while I was doing my radio show. This is while I was, you know, uh, doing all the other things that I ended up not doing to concentrate on, 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 on camera. There was a show on CBS called Clubhouse. Okay. And Clubhouse was on Saturday night. It starred Dean Cain and Christopher Lloyd. It was about, essentially, the New York Yankees and the Bat Boy for the New York Yankees. I think they were called the Empires or the Knickerbockers or 
They were called something other than the Yankees because CBS couldn't work out a deal with the Yankees. Anyway, Dean Cain was the star player. Uh, you know, Christopher Lloyd was a coach. And the, the mother of the, uh, the Bat Boy, who was the sort of the star around which the, the stories revolved, uh, owned a house in Queens or Yonkers or someplace. And the role that I booked was called Mold Guy. M-O-L-D, Mold Guy. Okay. And I was supposed to be this inspector that came to her house and started to poke around her walls, and I pushed my thumb in, and the wall, the drywall crumbled because it was so coated with mold on the backside. You know, it was like a, an, an episode of Holmes on Holmes, you know? Right. So, um, and I had, some, I had some nice scenes. It could possibly recur because, you know, if I, I remember my one line was, look, lady, you can either, you can either get this fixed or you can put your hands over your heads and watch that and, and make sure the house doesn't hit you when it crumbles. So it could have been one of those uh, situations where I would come back and fix other parts of the house and I would be kind of like, you know, some goofy guy that she would talk to from time to time. Who knew? So I booked the part. I go in for the audition. I booked the part. And the casting director, Felicia Fasano, she calls up. She goes, it shoots tomorrow. And I said, oh, that's an issue. She goes, what do you mean that's an issue? Said, no, you don't have, that's like the wrong thing to say to a casting director. Right. The right thing to say to a casting director is, what time do I have to be there? Yeah. I'm there, right? But to say, oh, that's an issue. Yeah. Because I had committed to shooting a lead role in a film for a student filmmaker at, uh, um, what's the name of the, the university down south of here? It'll come to me probably three days from now. Anyway, and I called him and I said, hey, I just booked this CBS primetime show. Is there any way we can move the shoot tomorrow? And he's like, no, dude. I was playing a, a ringmaster for a circus. And it was an outdoor shoot. <clears throat> and he had arranged for a carnival that was in town just for that weekend to use the, 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 the midway area for a, uh, you know, for, for a shooting space from 6 a.m. to 11 when they opened up for the public on that Friday. And there was no way they were going to leave town on Sunday. They couldn't use it on Saturday or Sunday. He said, dude, if you bail on me, I'm going to have to, like, cancel the shoot and possibly cancel my movie. Wow. So I had already said yes to him. Now, what do you do? And I ask my classes, because I teach voiceover classes here in, in Los Angeles, and I talk about, you know, the power of yes and the power of no and the power of, you know, honoring your commitments and so on. I said, what would you do? On one hand, you have this amazing opportunity, your first booking on network television. It actually was a hit show um, or the student film that probably, you know, will be harder to shoot. You'll have to, like, you know, do your own makeup and do your own costuming, and there's not going to be people there to walk you to set and bring you coffee and all the, all the cool stuff that you get when you shoot on network television. Um, what do you do? And usually more than half the class says, you go with the network show. So I didn't. And boy, did I make Felicia Fasano mad. Oh, she was pissed. She didn't say, like, you'll never work in this town again, but she was clearly like, you're out of your mind. Right. And, and I went and I shot the show. And I was like, you know, it was like uh, me in a spangly outfit with eyeliner. And, you know, I had a Russian accent. And I said, oh, you, you should talk to Kitty. Kitty loves, she loves cops. You know, I mean, it's, it, in fact, it's on my demo reel. Hmm. That scene is on my demo reel. And that scene of me as a ringmaster in a film for a student two years prior to my audition for Heroes caught the eye of 
uh, Natalie Hart, who is one half of La Padura Hart, the casting people for Heroes. Wow. And they said, you know what? If he's willing to get all duded up like this, maybe he's willing to play Eric Doyle. And so they brought me in based on that. So moral of the story is honor your commitments, kids. Yeah. Well, you know, you it's, never know. You never know what can come of it. Well, you know, it's interesting because you started out in a circus and you end up in a carnival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that came full. And circle. I'm actually, I don't know when this is going to air, but I'm actually about to shoot uh, with Olga Kay, who is a, a definitely a YouTube star. She's a Russian gymnast and, and juggler and circus performer. I'm about to be her ringmaster in Olga Kay's circus, which uh, Andrea Ball is directing and just uh, went out with her last night to talk about the part and about making money in, in, uh, in YouTube work and webisodes and all that. Uh, so yeah, I'll be right. You know, and I have that kind of like, you know, Jim Broadbent angle to me. So it's okay. Yeah, it's good. Well, it's I'm work. happy. It's work. Yeah. Now, um, <clears throat> Miles, did you, have you want to chime in here a little bit? Yeah. Um, now we're a little on talking about heroes a little more. What did you like about playing Eric Doyle? What did I like about it? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely everything. There wasn't a single thing I didn't like about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't like to talk in the past tense because, as you know, he's still alive. I know. And you never know if there's going to be a fifth season, volume six. All I know is that at the end of the uh, end of the episode, uh, Siler says, "You know, I could have killed Eric Doyle, but I didn't." <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like that, hearing those words. <laughs> that's good. That's, for that's you. Promise, that's promising. <laughs> Yeah, we you know when we at the end of I guess it was what the uh, fourth season, you know, when we saw you kind of strung up there on the uh, on the uh, the draperies. I thought that was it for you. I didn't, we, hadn't, we didn't well, see you for a half okay, year. Okay, but did you? No, that's not true. Now stop. Be a okay. better viewer, for God's sake. <laughs> do you not rem, do you not remember the hunter bringing Noah over to my table and saying, "Hey, it's Doyle. Where'd you get him? It was a delivery from a friend." Um, and all I had in my nose was the, the tube of sleep. Um, and then later in the episode, when Tracy comes around, she breaks out of that room where she's like being held captive under the heat, and she and, and, uh, and uh, um, uh, uh, Grunny and, and, uh, and, and Bria, they all leave. I'm one of the people that she wakes up and says, let's get, let's get out of Dodge. And I say, no, no, I'll, I'm going to stay. I've got some things to take care of. Nobody remembers that. It's like it's like a it's like a blank in their head. Yeah. I was not dead when I was strung <laughs> up. I was very uncomfortable. I'll bet you were. Actually, you know what? You want to be the honest truth. I was far more uncomfortable shooting. And too bad if you haven't watched the last episode. Here's a spoiler from a week and a half ago. <laughs> um, I was far more uncomfortable uh, strung up on the um, uh, on the lights and the X brace that they had me on for the final episode of this season than I was hanging from the uh, ceiling in uh, the episode last year. The episode last year, I was in a brace, in a harness, that was under my clothes that supported everything. It was awesome. All I had to do was go to the bathroom before I was pulled up there for five hours of shooting. This time around, though, I had to lean forward and not rest on the lights because the lights wouldn't support my weight. So it was very uncomfortable, even though the shoot was only about a half an hour, 45 minutes. My my center of gravity is somewhere up towards the moon, so it's just it was really uncomfortable for me to have my hands over my head that long, leaning forward, pushing uh, to balance my weight, 
and not have the apple boxes that were painted green screen under my feet not slip out from under me. There was a lot of balancing going on there with muscles that, frankly, I haven't used since I was four, <laughs> and I don't want to ever have to use again. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, but there wasn't anything about you know doing the last couple of seasons of Heroes that I I didn't like. I loved every second of it and wished that I could. Uh, I wish that I could do it every day as a living and be a series regular on the show. I would be simply awesome. So how far in advance do you know that you're going to be on an episode? I mean, how, how much warning do they give you? Um, anywhere from a couple of days to a few weeks to a month and a half. I mean, uh, they knew that I was going to be in a couple of episodes well in advance. And when they started to write the stuff with the cello, uh, they had me actually take cello lessons. And they did that like uh, we shut that mid-December, and I started, and I took the cello lessons in October. So, you know, the the good news there is they pay me for for taking the cello lessons. That's so, awesome. That was nice. I love the cello. Mm-hmm. The cello's great. And then there's sometimes when they're like, hey, uh, we need you to come in and, and uh, shoot a scene on Thursday, and it's Tuesday. So, and, and it's fine. You know what? If they called me now and said, Hey, we need to do a pickup for a webisode series, and we need you this afternoon. It's now three twenty-six. Can you get here by four o'clock? I'd be turning to you guys and go, "Hey, I'd love to continue with this, but I gotta go." Right, <laughs> right. Now you, you've done some other stuff with heroes other than just the show. You were on the the webisodes that they had of Nowhere, Nowhere Man, right? Right, and that was me, Nowhere Man. I was yeah. the I was the lead in those in those four the, episodes. I loved those episodes. Those yeah, it was kind of nice. It was. You know, you, you had an opportunity for Eric Doyle to be a vigilante and to feel what that's like. And, you know, that last glance at the end, that's an awesome, you know, that's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, something to put on the reel. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be rebuilding my reel and I will be putting that on there. And, um, you know, and it was great. And I was treated, the, the, the production values for their web series are as high as they are on the show. I mean, they shot on red which is arguably the, the best quality uh, 4K camera uh, on the market. Um, you know, they, they treated me with the same kid gloves that they treated me when we were shooting the actual episodes for the air. The crew wasn't as large. The budget wasn't as large, but I would never have known it. And the whole time I was tweeting and they were loving it. And they just really were supportive and so nice about everything. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was really great. And it told the story of what happened between, again, that, you know, now I've got some things to take care of here sitting on the gurney in, the, in uh, Building 34, uh, and where I come out um, smelling like a rose with a girlfriend and a boss on the run. <laughs> yeah, we know, I just like seeing Eric Doyle in, like, a normal office setting. It was just, you know, just and then to have him deal with the whole superpower thing, it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just awesome. And now you also did some uh, eye stories that they did for Sprint. Uh, tell me about what was your role in that? When I watched them, they were they were animated, right? Yeah, what they did was they had me come in and do some vocal work, but they were basically doing a choose-your-own-adventure thing with um, uh, flash drawings and flash animation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we did the web series last year. We did the eye story this year. Uh, in, in every case, NBC.com and the folks at Heroes and NBC Universal have just been so nice uh, all the way around and keeping me involved in the story. It's really odd that this character, I mean, I'm, I'm, I really feel fortunate that this character has been written in a way that people really enjoy him. 
You know, they enjoy his creepiness. They enjoy his cuddliness. They enjoy his smart-ass remarks. They root for him. They root against him. He's an interesting character. And it's like one of those things where I've just been lucky that the run has gone this long, and it wasn't just that one episode uh, back in uh, back in 2008. Your character seems to have a similar journey. Well, more of a journey than Siler's. I mean, Siler, I mean, he seems to do a 180 and wants to turn good. But your, your journey, your character's journey, you know, seems to want to redeem himself, and then events happen, and, you know, Eric Doyle does what he used to be doing, and then he, he seems resolved, resolved with living with people at the, the carnival and just being who he is. But it just seems to make your character more interesting that your 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 character seems to be going, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's as if Eric Doyle, you know, look, Eric Doyle tries to avoid using his powers the way he tries to avoid donuts. <laughs> you know, it's just they're too much fun to eat. It's too much fun to be a puppet master, you know. And, uh, you know, I mean, think about what would happen I mean, if you if you look if you look in the wiki, the heroes wiki about my character, they mm-hmm. link me up as a rapist. Ooh. Well, of course I'm a rapist. I'm forcing women to do whatever I want them to do. <laughs> you know. So yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying it's easier for Eric to be that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that's just the way the way his power lends itself. I mean, I don't know if you've ever read the assignment tracker. Do you know what that is? Nothing. Oh, yes. You know what? I have. Yes. So the assignment tracker is this background information on all the characters on Heroes written by the writers of the show and up at the, I think it's the uh, um, uh, the paper site, the paper company site. And there's, if you Google assignment tracker Heroes characters, you'll get the usernames and passwords that you need to get into it. It's kind of like this thing that people discover. And it turns out that my character's powers first manifested themselves when he got pissed off at his uncle for taking him to the beach and it was hot and he was sunburned and he just wanted to play with his puppets and he got so mad that he made his uncle swim out into the ocean and keep swimming so far that he couldn't swim back. Mm. That's creepy. That is creepy. That's creepy. So, you know, he learned at an early age the power that he had was creepy and he isn't even the kind of power that you could use for good. I mean, I guess you could, you know, puppet somebody who is stealing someone's purse to give it back. Right. But, you know, if you're going to puppet a woman to be your friend for a couple of hours, win those two. Yeah. 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 Now, did you have to learn how to uh, use puppets, or did you know that already as a skill going in? Uh, okay. I'm, I'm just going to stop you and go, uh, here's, here's a tip. I don't know how to use puppets at all. Ooh. I just know how to hold my hand so that it looks like I know how to use ah, puppets. Yeah. The other answer to that question is uh, they send every uh, actor who has a character on the show. They send them to um, uh, they send them to um, an island in the Caribbean where you actually have the power uh, installed in your cerebellum, and you actually know how to use that power, and you actually have that power. So the fact of the matter is that right now, I am controlling you doing this podcast while we're doing it. I'm telling you how to move and what to do. You don't even realize it. <laughs> I like that answer better. All right, there you go. <laughs> that works. Now you, you like that answer, huh? Now, now you, yeah, awesome. Now you, were, now you were lost as well recently. Mm-hmm. 
Tell us about that. You were a cab driver. Yeah, how about that? That's about the story. Yeah. <laughs> and it That's was, it. It was a pretty quick role? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was in and out. Uh, shot two times in Hawaii. Went back, uh, went there once on Labor Day last year and then back a couple weeks later. And then we had to do some pickup scenes. Went over to ABC Studios at the beginning of December and did some pickup scenes for that. It was very fast, very quick. Wonderful to work with those people. Really, really nice. Uh, lovely to be a trivia answer, along with Greg Grunberg and uh, Jalko Ivanek as the only actors who have been on both shows. Um, <clears throat> and that booking came from a casting workshop with the casting director from the show, who in one of the questions at the beginning of her session, said, uh, she was asked, are there any shows that you you know, blacklist the uh, actors from? Because you know, there's, there's, it's well known that if you, if you do uh, one procedural in town, or if you do a medical show in town, you probably won't be doing the other competing procedurals or medical shows for a while. Right. And she said, mm, uh, "Heroes." So <laughs> I made a big, a big show about gathering up my materials and leaving the room, and you know, I was joking around. And she goes, oh, "Are you on that show?" I'm so sorry. And then she called me in the next day, and I booked it. Nice. So, but it was a, obviously it was a much less uh, it was a role that was much less invasive into the story than Eric Doyle is. But it was great to play. I mean, I did all my own stunt driving. I mean, they, they, you know, I I did all the driving in the car. Nobody did the driving in the car. I did it. I ran over, you know, uh, our uh, uh, luggage, and I, you know, came to a screeching halt right in front of the crew. Um, you know, uh, like they trusted me to drive this 3000 pound vehicle. What was wrong with these people? Know. You know, and there's like, and, and, you know, forget the crew and the amount of carnage that would have happened if I didn't do it properly. There was a Panavision camera with prime lenses directly in front of my hood. I could have destroyed a $30,000, $50,000 piece of equipment and they didn't care. They were like, they trusted me. They were weird. So anyway. Oh, well, that's awesome. Well, uh, Miles, do you have any other questions for uh, David before we uh, before we go here? Yeah, Dave, I was looking at um, your your resume on IMDb. It's just did one, you just call I, me Dave? Did I, if I did, I apologize. Uh, uh, David, um, I was looking at your uh, resume. Uh, you didn't just call I, me Dave, did you? If I, I don't remember, if I did, I apologize. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I was looking at. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you, you have him on oh, edge. Oh, right? wait, wait, wait. Did the actor just get angry? Oh, <laughs> no. We can't have that. Oh. We can't have that. Edit it out. Edit it out. Go ahead. I feel, I feel, I feel my throat uh, collapsing. No, just kidding. Um, I was going to ask your uh, detailed resume. It said you, you won a, an Emmy back in 79 for uh, um, a comedy ensemble. I was trying to get more information about that. Um, what, what were you involved with back, back in 79 that you got that Emmy? Uh, there was uh, a, a show called the Cleveland Comedy Company. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Saturday Night Live had been on the air for maybe three years. Second City TV was on the air. Uh, a show called Friday Night Funnies or Friday Night Haha or whatever was on the air. It was the beginnings of the first wave of stand-up comedy and going out on a circuit and stuff like that. And a guy that I had worked with for a while in radio created a show that was a local version that made fun of local celebrities, the mayor, uh, the guy that ran uh, J.B. Robinson Jewelers, you know, the most common advertiser in town. Here in Los Angeles, it would be like making fun of Cal Worthington and Cal Worthington Ford. 
Um, but we did the show, ran a half an hour. It was original comedy. Uh, they killed, it killed, and we won an Emmy with it. Hmm. So, you know, I was one of the actors, one of the writers, one of the producers, and, you know, so it was one of my very first tastes of uh, being an award-winning anything. Yeah, wow. That's cool. Very cool. Hey, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Eric. Uh, Eric, Eric, I just called you Eric. Eric. David, David, Eric, David. Wait, my name is David. It's not <laughs> Dave. It's not Eric. It's not Jason. It's not. By the way, here's a bit of trivia for you. Go ahead. The cab Jason. driver's name was Paul. Ooh. There oh, you go. There you go. Huh? There, there you go. go. We'll have to give that out. Uh, as don't, a, don't ever, don't ever say I never did nothing for you. Oh. <laughs> hey, thank you so much, David, for coming on our show. Hey, can I just could get a quick plug in there for uh, for Abs- my new uh, iPhone app? Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Tell us about it. So uh, for those of you that are actors that are listening uh, or people that need to learn your lines, if you're business speakers or you're doing presentations at a show or whatever, um, I have a new app called Rehearsal. And by the time you hear this, it's probably going to be out in the App Store, if not shortly thereafter. And basically, you, you bring your script into Rehearsal, and then you do the same thing that you do in the real world with it. You highlight it. You have add notes in the margins. You uh, rehearse with it, um, and you learn your lines. And it's all you can carry it all around with you on your iPhone. It's awesome. And when the iPad comes out, it's going to be completely compatible with that as well. So we're really excited about it. It's called Rehearsal, R E H E A R S A L Rehearsal. And uh, you know, we'd love to love to see you go check it out if you're an actor. Cool. And you can find that, of course, in the iTunes Store. Soon. iTunes or the App Store on your iPhone. You can All just right. download it right from the App Store. There you go. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, and thank you again for being on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Well, uh, we hope you enjoyed that interview with David H. Lawrence. We had a lot of fun interviewing him. We are going to jet here, but before we do, we have to bring you our Sci-Fi 5 in 5. And today, we have a caller, Jay from Canton, Georgia, called in with his Sci-Fi 5 in 5. And he's giving the top five, his top five classic sci-fi movies. So, Jay, take it away. Hello, Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is Jay in Canton, Georgia. Anyway, I'd like to leave my top five classic sci-fi movies of all time. I would want to say that Godzilla, the original Japanese version, is one. Alien, Space Odyssey, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Planet of the Apes, and The Day the Earth Stood Still. I think that's five. Okay, have a good day, guys. That was the Sci-Fi 5 and 5 with... Jay from Canton, Georgia. Thanks, Jay, for calling in and giving us your Sci-Fi 5 and 5, your top five classic movies. By the way, he wanted me to qualify that when he said the original Japanese version of Godzilla, I'm going to totally butcher this, uh, Gohara, is that the way he pronounces it? He pronounces it an H. Do you know, Miles? Sounds, uh, sounds good to me. Yeah, or Gujara was one of his top five classic Sci-Fi movies. He wanted to clarify it that he... Um, he wanted to clarify it because he said some people will say that it's not a sci-fi movie. It's a monster movie. Uh, quite frankly, when we deal with monster movies, Miles, I kind of classify them as sci-fi. Oh, I do too. I don't know. The sci-fi horror fantasy genre is all kind of put in there and you kind of link them in there. 
it's, it's part, but he said it's partially true. There's a ton of science in the story where the Japanese scientists are explaining the existence of Godzilla and the oxygen bomb kills him. It's full of science fiction. He just wanted to defend it a little bit. And I would say there's no real need for defense in this. To me, it's when you put Godzilla, no matter what version of it, you, you know, this is science fiction. Yeah, a giant dinosaur destroying Tokyo. I mean, there, yeah, it's, it's definitely science fiction. It's definitely science fiction. Well, we got to get out of here. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to contribute your own Sci-Fi 5 in 5, you can do so by calling us at one 508 or sending us an MP3 file at uh, Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com. You can also email it to us, and we'll read it. And you can do that by sending it to the same email address. You can also find us on Twitter at... The Sci-Fi Diner. Uh, also, you can find me, myself, and I at the at Herzog symbol on Twitter. And Miles, they can also find you on Twitter, right? Yep, I am Son of Worf at Twitter, and uh, you can find me there. And it, it it'll, it'll be it's definitely good. We'd love to chat with you and find out what your shows you're watching. As always, let us know what you're watching. Let us know what you're into. Uh, we'd love to discuss that on the show. Let us know what you're thinking, what you're thinking about, what we're talking about, and you can do so by contacting all that information we gave you just a moment ago. Uh, there's more or more of the notes that we gave you tonight. You can find them at the sci-fi-diner-podcast.com, and I believe that is about all. Leave us a review on iTunes. That would be awesome. But that's about it. Also, uh, join our, our Facebook fan page. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Thank you, Miles. And, oh, you're uh, It'll be good. Well, I think that's it. Let's go ahead and wrap up the show. And uh, I'm waiting for your traditional ending here, Miles. Oh, sorry. That's else. Well, until then, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. <laughs>